All right, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And um, we'll read this passage of Scripture and have prayer and then bring the message God has laid upon our heart. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Give you just a moment to find your place. And do ask you to pray for us that the Lord will help us and touch us these next few moments. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us His Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another." And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. Father, Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray now that you'll bless the reading of thy word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you'd... Grant us liberty and vocabulary. And Lord, help us to receive with meekness the engrafted word. And for what you do, we'll thank you, we'll praise you, we'll honor you, and we'll glorify you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. I want to draw your attention to verse number one here in our text. And oftentimes when we come to this chapter, we often think about the latter verses uh, where Paul talks about the coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, and, and rightfully so as we look at that uh, that chapter, it gives us that blessed hope. And, and we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to overlook uh, the first 12 verses of this chapter here. But I want you to think about what Paul says in verse number 1. He says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, and to please God. Paul is emphasizing in this uh, passage here two things. He's emphasizing uh, the believer's walk and our pleasing of God. And how we walk will determine whether or not we do please God. Paul had a lot to say about walking and about pleasing God. And we'll see that here in just a few moments. But I want to preach tonight on this subject on how to please your Father. How to please your Father. Paul says here that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God. I want to give you that thought tonight on how to please your Father. As I mentioned and Paul has a lot to say about walking throughout the, the New Testament. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1, he told us to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. In verse number 17, he says, walk not as other Gentiles walk. In chapter 5 and verse number 2, he told us to walk in love. And in verse number 8, he told us to walk in life.
light as children of light. In 2 Corinthians 5, in verse number 7, he said that we walk, Paul said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 5, he told us to walk in the Spirit. And then in 1 John, chapter 1, John told us to walk in the light. And so uh, we're over and over throughout the New Testament. Paul and some of the other apostles, they emphasized uh, our walk with God. And our walk ought to please the Lord. And I think when we come to this text here and we think about walking, walking suggests two things. Number one, it suggests progress, and it, and it also suggests and demands strength. And if you and I are going to walk uh, for God, if we're going to please God in our walk, then we're going to have to make progress, and we're going to have to walk not in our strength, but in the strength of the Spirit of God. So Paul is going to give us here, uh, he's going to describe, should I say, a threefold walk of every Christian, every believer. He's going to tell us how uh, that we're to walk as Christians in this text. I want you to notice them with me tonight and we'll be through. Number one, I want you to see that Paul uh, tells us here that we're to walk in holiness in verses 1 through 8. You know, Paul was living in a time uh, and he was living in a place. Uh, uh, Rome was a, a very immoral society. And Paul was living in a very immoral day, a lot like today. If anything, Paul's day was probably more immoral than the day that you and I are living in. Uh, Paul is wanting to encourage Christians and, and teach Christians that they're not to live as heathen people, that they ought to live different. I still believe that. I think that we ought to walk in holiness. Amen. As, as children of God, we ought to live our life in a way that honors God and pleases Him. And that is a good testimony. And so Paul is laying that out in these first first eight verses of this chapter he's saying that as believers we ought to walk in holiness and you might say well preacher why is that so important well Paul tells us in verse number one that we ought to walk in holiness because it pleases God amen he said that you ought to walk and to please God as you would abound more and more he uses the word sanctification in verse number three and again he uses it in verse number four he uses the word holiness uh, in verse number uh, seven, as he says, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto uh, unto holiness. He uses that word sanctification, as we mentioned. Paul is emphasizing uh, sanctification. He's emphasizing holiness. Why? Because that's what pleases God. God is a holy God. Now, when we think about holiness tonight in the life of a believer, there's positional holiness or sanctification, and then there's progressive holiness or sanctification. Positional sanctification, as Paul uh, talks here, uh, positional sanctification doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with Christ. I can never be holy enough. I can never be sanctified enough within myself. All of my righteousness is filthy rags, and the, the things that I do does not make me holy because uh, God is holy, and it's the righteousness of Christ that, that gives me that positional holiness or san positional sanctification. But when it comes to progress, Progressive holiness, progressive sanctification. That's something that you and I have a responsibility to do. You and I have the responsibility as we progress, as we walk through this life, as we walk for God. We're to live our life in a way that we're to, to sanctify, we're to come apart, we're to, to, we're to live a holy life that is pleasing to God. The Bible tells us that in verse number one, that walking in holiness, number one, it pleases God. Another reason we ought to walk in holiness is not only to please God, but in verse two and three, to obey God. Look what he said, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. 
For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. You know, the word here, uh, commandments, is a military term. It refers to orders handed down from a superior officer. And what Paul is saying here is that uh, you know the commandments that we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Our sanctification. It's uh, that we abstain from fornication. Paul uses the illustration here of fornication. Uh, no doubt that was a reality in that day. Uh, the Romans had no more no morals when it came to, uh, to when it came to the boundaries of marriage, and when it came to the uh, not only uh, the boundaries of marriage, but just the just a uh, uh, sexual morality. They had no morality about that whatsoever. And so Paul is dealing with that subject, but he's also giving the illustration here. Uh, fornication covers all types of, of sexual sins. It deals with uh, sex before marriage. It deals with it uh, after, even the, uh, out, uh, after marriage as far as the, uh, the contract is concerned. And so uh, Paul is dealing with, it deals with adultery. It deals with, with fornication. It covers everything. And so Paul is using that uh, both to deal with the subject, the problem of his day, but also to give us an illustration that God puts limitations in life, that God sets boundaries, that, that God, though He institutes things just as a physical relationship, He also puts boundaries on that. And that's not to, to, to rob us of joy, but what it is, it's to, to put safeguards, it's to, to make us happier. You know, I got to thinking about that. Those who live in immorality, they're never happy. Their immorality doesn't bring joy. If anything, it brings hurt. It brings pain. It brings, it brings agony. And Paul is telling us that, that if you and I are, want to be happy, we ought to live holy because holiness brings happiness. Why? Because it pleases God and then because it obeys God. For you know what commandments we gave you. We all live by the commandments of God's Word. Boundaries are for our benefits. Boundaries tells us, how to live. It's safety zones. It gives a safety zone in a marriage. It gives a safety zone to a young person here to abstain from fornication. It teaches them purity. And purity brings joy. It brings happiness. It brings peace so that one day when they are married, they have no regrets. They have no scars. And so we ought to thank God for the boundaries of life. And holiness always leads to happiness. And so we ought to live holy because and walk in holiness because it pleases God because to obey God, and then thirdly, to glorify God. Look at verse number four. He said that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. You see, uh, that word vessel, it means to control his body. It also can mean to learn to live with one's own life. And Paul is saying this here. He said to every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. We should know how to, <coughs> excuse me, control our own body in sanctification and honor. Our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Man is a, a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. Just as a tabernacle had three parts, it had an outer court, an inner court, and had the Holy of Holies. That outer court was the part that, every, that was visible to all. Anybody could visit that, that outer court, just like the body. You can go up to someone. You can, it's visible. You can see their body. You can visit their body. 
That inner court more represents the soul, uh, just like uh, the inner court was more mysterious. Not anyone could just go in that inner court, so it is with the soul. And then that spirit uh, represents that holy of holy place. You remember in the tabernacle, that holy place is where the presence of God dwell. And when God breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. And, and that part of man that lives for eternity is that spirit of man. That, that spirit and soul are interchanged. And at the door uh, between that spirit and soul is the will of man. And when man surrenders that will to God, God's able to fill that compartment of man, that spiritual part of man. He's able to control that. And that's what he's saying. Our vessel ought to be surrendered. It ought to be submitted to God. And, and that glorifies God. Whenever uh, you and I are walking in holiness, we're bringing glory to God. You know, you think about this. Living a filthy life, even though you may be saved, if you and I live in disobedience or we live in filth, we dishonor the name of God. We don't please our Father. I don't think no son that loves his father wants to bring shame. And we as the children of God should have a desire every day to glorify God. And then another reason we should walk in holiness is to escape the judgment of God. Look what he said in verse number 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. You see, in this text here, a holy walk develops a right relationship with God, our Father, who is over us. It develops a right relationship with God the Son who died for us, and then God the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside. You know, when man has a right relationship uh, with, his, with, his, with, his, uh, with this world, with the material world, if he has, has brought his body into subjection, he has control over his body, uh, you know what? He's, he he's healthy because he, he's controlling his temple. And when man has a right relationship with the world itself as far as the perception, then man is happy. He has joy. He's living, he's living his life uh, uh, not uh, concerned about the world, but he's living his life in light of the Word of God. And then when man uh, has a right relationship with his Creator, he's holy. His spirit is right with God. And so it, to escape the judgment of God, we ought to walk in holiness. Amen? And I'm not talking about facing God in eternity. I'm talking about this life. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. The Bible said in Galatians 6, the Bible said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, of that shall he also reap. Now he that soweth to the flesh, shall the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit, shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And what Paul is teaching here, that whenever we don't live a holy life, we're going to face, we're going to face two consequences. We're going to face judgment in eternity. But we're going to face consequences here on earth. We're going to reap what we sow. What we sow and reap, we reap it in this life. Now, I know that if we sow for God in eternity, we will reap rewards at the judgment seat. But you know that if we sow to our flesh, where are we going to reap corruption? We're not going to reap corruption in eternity if we're saved. We're going to reap it here on earth. If he that sows to the flesh is going to reap a life that never brings forth anything of any eternal value. He's going to have, he's going to have consequences as sowing those bad seeds. So walk in holiness. I think for a child of God, that is so much more than it is for a lost person because we that are saved can still get out in sin. But if we choose not to walk in holiness, then we're going to pay the consequences because we're going to be chastened because we know the Lord. So Paul says the first step of a believer's walk is to walk in holiness. And then secondly, I want you to notice in verse number 9 and verse number 10 that Paul tells us to walk in harmony. Amen. Look what he said in verse number 9. He said, but as touching brotherly love, 
You need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all brethren that are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. You want to say this, a right relationship with God also produces a right relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul is saying that getting along with our brothers in Christ and loving them is, what, is how things should be. When we're walking in holiness, we'll walk in harmony. You, know, you take someone in church whenever they get out of fellowship with God. If they <clears throat> continue that path, eventually they will get out of fellowship with, with their brethren. It doesn't mean that the church has done anything. It doesn't mean that anything has, anybody has offended them. But have you noticed how that when people start backsliding, they start getting away from God, they start distancing themselves from other people. They distance themselves, not, they'll distance themselves from the church. And all of a sudden they'll make new friends. Or they'll, they'll have, you know what's happening? It's their relationship with God has been affected. They're not walking in holiness, so now they're not walking in harmony. As a pastor, I have seen people many times long before they ever left, long before they ever got out of church, I would get concerned. I would tell my wife, they're going down the wrong path. They're going down the wrong, not judging them, but a spiritual man doth judge all things, the Bible says. And you can see, discern that they're going down the wrong path. And you know that they're getting further away from God, so it makes sense that they'll get further away from their brethren. And I'll tell you, as Christians, we... We ought to walk in harmony. We ought to strive. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 3, endure or endeavor, the Bible says, to keep the, the unity of the bonds of peace. That means to do our dead level best to always keep harmony, always keep unity in the church by, by building up. We ought to say things, the Bible says, that minister grace unto the hearers. Amen. Not say things that tear down, not things, say things that hinder or destroy or uh, uh, discourages another <coughs> person's walk with God. And can I say this? The Bible says in this passage here that our walk in harmony, it ought to be automatic. Look at verse number 9. He said, but as touching brotherly love, you need no need that I write unto you, for yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You're taught of God to love one another. What does that mean? That means that when you get saved, it's automatically on the, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you develops a love for the people of God. John said this in 1 John chapter 2. He said, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Saved people love saved people. The brethren, saved people love the church. And it's automatic. You know, before I got saved, I didn't love the church and didn't want to go to church, didn't want to be around people in church. It wasn't that I was against them, but I didn't have anything in common. And even a religious but lost person they're miserable in church. I mean, they like, might to a degree like the fellowship and the socializing to some degree, but there's no genuine love there because there's no connection there. But when you get born again, even though everything in your life may not be the way that it's supposed to be, even though you may be a, a new babe in Christ and, and you may not even know all the things of, that a Christian is supposed to do, you have harmony in the fact that you love the church. You want to go to church. You want to sing their so songs. You want to hear the Word of God. You want to be around the fellowship. And, and there's a drawing there. It's automatic. And then it's for all brethren. Look what he said in verse number, verse number 10. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. You know, I think that the more we learn to, to walk with God, the harmony is to be with all. It's not to be with cliques. It's not to be with 
a certain crowd. I understand some people may have, uh, have a close friend and there's nothing wrong with that. You have things in common with this person more than that per person. I understand that. But when we talk about fellowship and we talk about uh, getting together, we talk about displaying love one toward another, it's to be toward everybody. I think it's even to be more so to the weaker vessels. You know, that person that maybe nobody wants to be around, they need your love more than anybody else in the building. That person that you don't have anything in common with. You know, the, the more you, you, you draw closer to God, the more you, you'll see a desire to reach out to people like that. Maybe you, you know somebody that you're like, well, preacher, I just have nothing in common with this person. It's a struggle for me to communicate with them. I, I have to, I feel like I'm doing, I'm making all the effort. I feel like that I'm, I'm carrying the whole conversation. I feel like that, that we just don't have any common ground. Well, if you're saved, you have common ground. If you're born again, if, you know, if you're in the same church, believe the same book, there's more common ground than, than what you realize. But, but showing love is not about how much I receive back, how much I enjoy, how much I'm getting out of the conversation. But showing love is how much I can give, how much I can put in. And that's what Paul is saying in this verse. He said, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren. That means people that, that I enjoy being around. And let's be honest, that means people I don't enjoy being around. But yet, at the same time, that's real harmony is getting along with Sometimes with people that it's hard to get along with. So that harmony is automatic. It should be for all brethren. And then Paul says in verse number 10, that harmony should be advancing. Look what he said. He said, brethren, that you increase more and more. You know, harmony in a church should never dwindle, but it should always be advancing. It should always be moving forward. You and I have a responsibility in our church to build that harmony. Get around, talk to everybody, be friends with everybody, love everybody, pray for everybody. Reach out to that individual. You see somebody by themselves. You see somebody sitting by themselves. Go to that person. Extend a hand. Shake their hand. Uh, you, and, and, and more and more. You know, I, I've learned this in pastoring people. I haven't learned a lot, but I've learned this. That there are people that when they first came to church, I thought I had absolutely nothing in common with them. And some I didn't. And I thought, you know, me and this person, we just, it's just going to be a, a, hey, hello, how you doing uh, conversation. But I'm never really going to be able to get close to that person or, or I'm never really going to, I never saw myself as, as genuinely just loving that person like I'm, like I'm supposed to. But the more you get to know people, you know what I've learned about relationships? Some of the best relationships I've ever had came from places I would have never thought it came from. From loving Christian brethren and people that I felt like uh, within myself, I thought, you know, I have nothing in common with this person. But it's true. Sometimes opposites really do attract. Sometimes the people that you, you think, I remember one gentleman who's in heaven now that uh, I, shortly after uh, he came to our church, I, I thought to myself, this guy doesn't even like me. But come to find out, he was just took longer to get to know him than it did somebody else. But I'm going to tell you, my life... My spiritual life was so blessed as a result of getting to know Him more and more. Endeavor, endeavor to keep harmony. Endeavor, walk in holiness, walk in harmony. And then finally, I want you to notice in verse 11 and 12, walk in honesty. Look what he said in verse number 11, and that you study to be quiet, to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. You know, when Paul talks about and uses the word honest, honestly, it's the same word that's translated in 1 
uh, Corinthians chapter 14 is the word decently. And Paul is, is telling these Christian Gentiles that you need to live your life in a decent manner. You, need to, you don't need to be lazy. You don't need to be in everybody's business. You need to live your life in a way that is decent. And Paul says that's in silence. Study to be quiet. You know when you study something, that means you really examine it. You really practice it. You really look into it. You're trying to learn that. Paul said you need to learn to be quiet. James said, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to... You know, if a man's not swift to hear, he'll never be slow to speak. And he'll never control his temper. And Paul said this, that you study to be quiet. We, we, ought, to practice, we ought to practice being quiet. Think about the psalmist when he said, Lord, set a watch before my lips. We ought to... The Bible said in Proverbs, he that's of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter in a day of social media and, and all kinds of things that, where people put everything out there for everybody to see. There's no privacy. There's no, uh, there's no shame. I think it's a disgrace to the testimony of the cause of Christ. I think there are things that ought to be private. I think there's things that people shouldn't know about, about myself, about my family. There ought to be some lines. There ought to be some barriers. And, and I think we ought to, if we're going to live honestly, then we ought to live in a day. We ought to live in silence. Sometimes it's better not to say anything. The Bible says even a fool is counted wise when he uttereth his speech. Sometimes we should... Not speak. Just because it's true doesn't mean it should be told. And so he said, study to be quiet. Do your own business. That is single-mindedness. Put your hand to the plow and just work where God puts you. Do your business. Work, work your job. Take care of your family. Live your life. It doesn't mean we're isolated, but it means that we are separated to a degree. We're together as a church, but if we're going to be honest, we, we can't be in everybody's hip pocket. Even the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it, it tells us to withdraw your foot from your neighbor's house lest he be weary of your coming. You know, we ought to be careful how that we handle ourselves. If we're going to be honest, we, we ought to focus on our life and the will of God and what God has called us to do. You know, keeping people at arm's length means this. It means that we're close. But we're not so close that we invade each other's privacy. And so uh, he deals with singleness. I think in a church, if we're going to walk honestly, we, we have to walk in silence. We have to walk sometimes in silence and single-mindedness. And then uh, notice what he says here. We ought, to walk in, we ought to walk in sweat. He said to work with your own hands. You know, there ought to be some labor. I think Paul is dealing with, there were some Gentiles, I was reading about this in studying this passage that some people in Paul's day, some Gentiles, because of the, the promise that Jesus was coming, because of the promise that the rapture could take place at any moment, some of them had quit their jobs and, and they weren't working. And what that put, uh, meant, it put such a burden on other Christians who were trying to take care of them. And I want to tell you something. God never blesses a deadbeat. God never blesses somebody that's lazy. He never blesses somebody that's slothful, somebody that won't get up in the morning, won't uh, take care of their responsibilities, someone that's always uh, uh, shunning somebody else and uh, their responsibilities and causing someone else to have to carry their load. Listen, we ought to learn to sweat. We ought to learn to labor and to work. Amen? You know, to be a Christian, uh, you can't be lazy. Uh, you know, if you read your Bible, you can't be lazy. You've got to, you got to you know, spend some time. If you, and it's not just in the spiritual things, but in the workforce. I, he, he talks about uh, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. You know, if a man don't work, he don't eat. 
And the Bible is clear about this manner that a man that don't work is worse than an infidel. You know, I think that when Paul is dealing with laziness and he's talking about sweating and working with your own hands, keeping a good testimony on the job, keeping a good testimony in the church house. When we have a work day, you ought to show up and work. You ought to labor. You ought to be faithful. You ought to, you ought to work around the church and, and spend time and invest in your church. And you ought to, to keep an honest day's work on the job. Don't beat the clock and don't, don't try to see how you can get one up on somebody or, or try to get something extra that you didn't earn or that you didn't work for for. Hey, live honestly. Walk honestly. Amen. You know, nothing hurts the testimony of Christ more than when people are lazy, when they're slothful, or they're dishonest in their dealings in this world. The world today has very little confidence in Christianity because of all the, uh, because of all the scandals, because of all the uh, all the embezzlements and things. That, and I know they may have not all been in, in our ranks, but regardless, it's, it's in the name of Christendom. And, and, and because of that, it affects it. And the world has lost sight of that. And Paul says, if you and I are going to please God, if we're going to please our Father, we have to walk in holiness. We have to walk in harmony. We have to walk in honesty. That we may walk honestly toward them that are without. And notice this, that ye may have lack of nothing. You know, there's nothing wrong with being poor. But there is something wrong with being sorry. And some people are poor because they're sorry. What I mean by that is if you work hard and your lot in life is to be poor, God will take care of you and there's no shame in poverty. But there is shame when you don't have better because you don't try harder. And Paul said as Christians, we ought to be focused. We ought to give our best we ought to work. I don't know about you, but I want to please God, not just in, in, in being a pastor, not just in being a church member, but I want to please God in just being a Christian and, being a, and living my life. I want to please Him as a husband. I want to please Him as a father. All these things, these responsibilities in life we have, every bit of it has to do with our walk with God. And if we don't please God, then we'll never be what we're supposed to be to others. Father, I pray that you'll bless the, the Word of God as it goes forth. I pray that you'll help us today as, as Christians, as church members. God, help us to realize the need of just walking honestly, walking in harmony together, and walking in holiness. Help us to live separated in a day when, when a lot of people don't think it matters to live clean. God, help us. We know it matters with you. We know it matters in your word. And I pray, God, that you'll speak to hearts. Help us to search our own heart, look at our own life, and ask ourselves, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing to please you and to honor you. Father, for what you do, we'll thank you and we'll praise you. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.